This is In the Trenches, Broadcast 61. Welcome to In the Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is Bjork Ostrom, who is the founder of foodbloggerpro.com and Pinch of Yum. And together with his wife, they've built, in my opinion, um, pretty much a food blogging empire. And so today <laughs> I want to talk about how Bjork got to start doing that, um, how they've managed to monetize uh, a food blog and kind of talk about how they've grown that to a really comprehensive training resource training platform, which is foodbloggerpro.com and the next steps in growing that to essentially a seven figure business. If, if he hasn't already hit that as of this conversation, but Bjork, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Yeah, Tom, thanks. I'm really uh, looking forward to chatting about it and it'll be fun. And hopefully the people that are listening will take away some action items here. Yeah, I hope so. So to start, I'm at foodbloggerpro.com right now. This yep. is not where it all began for you. So I think we should probably take a few steps back and maybe do uh, you know, a quick bio about yourself, a background on, on how you got to where you are today, um, if that's not too broad a, a question. No, yeah, we can go back. So uh, a little over five years ago, um, I was just starting to get into and get interested in the online space. So I was listening to books like Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk and was listening to podcasts about building a site online. And I'd always been interested in web development and web design. So uh, I was always kind of playing around with these different ideas of all things online. I'm just fascinated by the fact that we live in this time where we have the internet, which I feel like is such a cool, incredible thing, uh, which could be an entire tangent. But uh, I'm just really interested in that space. And around the same time, my wife, Lindsay, was really starting to get interested in food. So we had just gotten married uh, and she was starting to cook for two instead of doing just simple meals for her. And so she was getting interested in recipes and food um, and cooking. And those two things kind of met in the middle. And she had been posting different things to social media and we came together and we're like, I wonder what it would be like to make, you know, put together a blog. And so we had one of those uh, classic like brainstorming meetings where we're like, what's the, what's the name going to be? Uh, and everything from super ridiculous to super bland. And we kind of came in the middle uh, with Pinch of Yum. And so she started actually on a Tumblr blog where we paid whatever 10 bucks to get the custom domain. And she started pinchofyum.com on Tumblr and was there for probably a year as she just kind of tried to figure out what does it mean to post a recipe online and how do you take good photos? And and she just like super hustled. Uh, so she was doing that on the side for all the way until, until last summer. Um, so she was producing a ton of content and re- working really hard to build up this site and figure it out. Um, and about the time that it got to pretty consistently like 500 plus page views a day. So maybe it was 500, 1,000. I don't remember exactly when it was. But um, I kind of started to look at it and say, I wonder if we can do something with this in terms of creating income from it. And with any, any starting story, like you're always impressed by where you are until you get to the next level. And then you realize that it's not that impressive. And that's the the case for us. It was like, I can't believe we're getting 500 page views a day. Uh, and then 
you know, things grow and then you look back and you're like, how did I ever think that we'd be able to create an income from 500 pages a day with a food blog? <laughs> but it's yeah. just, that's just how it works is it's, you're amazed by where you're at and that's yep. how it should be. I think that's a good thing. But, um, so we started to do these income reports where we came on and once a month I'd say, Hey, here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. And that was probably three years ago. Um, and we started to do those, uh, each month. And those started to grow little by little as we started to figure things out. And to connect the story to Food Blogger Pro, uh, where you started off, as we started to do those more and more, we had so many people coming to us and asking questions about everything's from the basics of like, how do you get started to the more complicated stuff of how do you do SEO specific to a food blog? So we said, I think there's an opportunity here to build a community and to build an education system, video tutorials, things like that, specific to the food space. So that's where Food Blogger Pro came from. So that's kind of the quick synopsis, maybe yeah. not so quick synopsis. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, I think it gave a lot of context, which, and I want to talk about a little bit of it. So to get the timeline right, when was when did you guys start Pinch of Yum? Pinch of Yum was 2010, April of 2010. And when was like, when did you actually make your first dollar off of Pinch of Yum? So first dollar officially, I, you know, would have been when we threw an ad network up on there, which would have been, you know, I think it probably was the summer of 2011. Okay. So you guys worked on this, uh, for, for a bit or at least Lindsay did. Uh, yeah, how, Lindsay how did. How active were you in the beginning at all? Yeah. So all credit due to Lindsay in terms of especially starting out. And even now my role with pinch of yum is pretty limited other than like occasional sounding board for Lindsay. And then mm-hmm. I'll do like WordPress troubleshooting and do some of the ad network management and stuff like that. But man, my time on pinch of yum in terms of actual time working on it is probably, uh, like at the most 20 hours a month right now. And that's probably pretty close to what it's always been. I think it, it probably peaked, um, kind of in the middle stages where, we were earning a decent income from it, but we didn't have Food Blogger Pro, but really tailed off once we launched Food Blogger Pro. So, um, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm curious though, what, what, like, what was your background then in food mm-hmm. and or technology? Like, where did you fit into this equation? So if Lindsay's doing this food blog, how did you come in and like, okay, let's build a, a yeah. like a comprehensive training platform? Like, yeah. <clears throat> I don't think most people would think that way. Right. Um, I think that, maybe one of our greatest advantages has been our ignorance (laughs) in that thinking we can do all this stuff and then you get in and then you just have to do it. So, uh, before any of this, Lindsay was a teacher, she's a fourth grade teacher and I was working at a nonprofit and my role at the nonprofit was I was leading retreats. So a retreat being a day long program for elementary, middle school and high school students. And we would do retreats around character education. So the organization really grew out of, it didn't start with, but the, the way that people understand it the most is it grew out of this reality that um, schools started to realize that they needed to talk about character just as much as they needed to educate kids in, in science, you know, math and um, arts and stuff like that. They needed to talk about character. And so especially after Columbine, there's this huge growth of schools wanting people to come in and do these retreats where we talk about like respect or courage or kindness. So I, my job before any of this stuff was I would go in and I would lead these retreats and I was uh, the music guy. So I'd bring my guitar and I would play uh, music and we'd do songs and there would be, um, you know, talks and things like that. Uh, but at the same time, 
And this is maybe a takeaway point for people that are kind of doing this on the side. At the same time, I was really interested in all things online and in digital, uh, the digital world, which is like the biggest umbrella you can have. But it's really true: yeah. hardware, software, websites, um, and specifically websites. So I came to my manager at Youth Frontiers, which is the nonprofit I was at. And I said, hey, I know that we need to update our website. I would love to do that because I'm interested in learning WordPress, web design, web development. So I leveraged some of my time at my normal job into learning about this thing that I wanted to learn on that I knew that I didn't have a ton of time on the fringes. uh, But because of the flexibility of our job, I was able to do that. And I know that's not true for everybody and that everybody can't do that with the job that they have. But I'd encourage people to look for opportunities where they can sharpen their skills uh, in their current job. So then those margins that they do have at at the beginning and the end of the day, uh, they can really you know, work to build content or whatever it is uh, to complement those skills that they're sharpening. So that's that's how I got trained in on on the web design and development stuff. And for Lindsay, she's been all self educated in terms of cooking and recipes and things like that. Cool. Yeah. Well, I want to say one thing about that that honing your skill set too. I I think that's immediately applicable to anybody, no matter where they are. That you can always hone in, um, or you can hone a particular skill or talent mm-hmm. that you have and refine it, improve it, or learn new skill sets that you think will be lucrative either to your current job or if you're self-employed entrepreneur or whatever to your current business or learning things that'll be useful down the road. Yeah. And, and I think about it when I was in the army. I mean, I, I, I'm basically learning nothing that's necessarily applicable to real life. But then when I was at, uh, you know, when I was, I took over at, um, a certain kind of battalion level where I was doing like operations and training and stuff like that. I basically had to become a whiz at like at PowerPoint. Yep. So then all of a sudden it's like, here's this skill that I never ever wanted, but now I'm really good at PowerPoint. I don't know right. how it, and it turns out I've actually used quite a bit of PowerPoint. Yeah. I've in seen my life some of your PowerPoint decks that you've created. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you made that in PowerPoint. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. All these guys have like pay, pay a lot of money for like fancy programs. I'm like, I do most of it in PowerPoint. That's yeah, my, for my sure. secret. That's just coming out now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. But anyway, I think it's kind of fun tangent to talk about a little bit that I think anybody listening, it's always, it's always worth saying, you know, where can you improve your skill set And if if you have a day job, where could you even just volunteer to help out on a particular pro- like project that yeah. then give you the skill set that you need in the future for some other something else? And that's yeah, exactly sure. what you did, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and I think any time that any time that people are doing anything, there's always the potential to double whatever it is. So for those that are listening right now and you're you know on your commute back home from work, like maybe what you can do is you can find a time during the day where you could listen to this podcast and then you can fit another podcast in on, on the way home. Or for those of you that are, you know, working in an area where, the, where you maybe don't enjoy, you can potentially double your benefit of your job by requesting that you have some, some assignment or some role that sharpens the skill of another skill set. Um, I just always think there's room for improvement and it's important that as entrepreneurs or people that are doing a side hustle, wanting to do the entrepreneur thing full time, that you're finding those gaps and you're filling those, uh, in order to expedite that process to make the jump cross the bridge into full time entrepreneurship. Uh, so I think it's a really important concept. Yeah, I agree completely. So now getting back to, um, because I think the story is, is is fascinating, and there's a lot that I think anybody listening can pick up from it. I know I'm I'm learning a lot from it. So you you would you develop these skill sets on the side, then you saw this opportunity. What was when you saw like how Pinch of Yum was taking off, maybe in traffic or whatever, uh, what other other metrics you were kind of using to measure that? Then you had that talk or that discussion. Let's turn this into 
maybe something bigger with Food Blogger Pro. T- talk yeah. about that process, like what you went through and as you kind of built maybe the first iteration of what Food Blogger Pro is today. Yeah. So Lindsay and I, it was actually Lindsay that said, I think you really need to do this. I'd been kind of going back and forth on it and had some other ideas of other possible pursuits that I, that I wanted to do. And she's like, it, it just makes so much sense. We have people that are interested in it. We have a following. Um, and we know that there's the need. So I think you should do it. So I was like, okay. And it was, it was actually, so Lindsay and I lived in the Philippines for a year and it was when we were in the Philippines that we decided to move forward on this. Um, so, so we said, Hey, let's go ahead and do this. So in November of, uh, would have been 2012, I think, uh, we did like a pre-launch post for Food Blogger Pro. Um, and we said, we're going to create this. We're going to launch it in three months. And if you're interested, you can sign up and, you know, have an early bird discount and get access for a year. So that's how we launched it. And I think we sold maybe $10,000 worth of membership. So it was kind of like a little mini Kickstarter. Um, and from that, we used that to to build out the site. And the site itself is built on Expression Engine. So it's a lesser known content management system compar- comparable to WordPress, but it's not open source. So you have to pay, I don't know what it is, $300 or $400 for an Expression Engine license. And I had, as I was preparing for this, I'd been listening to every podcast I could find about membership sites. And I came across this one where somebody was interviewing these guys that had started their own membership site and it was called Kick, Kicktastic. The site is still up, kicktastic.com, uh, but it's now open. It's a free membership site, but I looked at it and I really liked how it was designed, how it was built. So I dropped him an email and said, Hey guys, we're in the middle of doing this. Would you be interested in coming on board and, and helping us out? Uh, not helping us out, but could, could we hire you to build this site out? Uh, similar to how you've done with Kicktastic. Um, and so we had a conversation and, and we really were on the same page with a lot of different things, just life stuff, but also um, some of the business stuff. And so the, they came on board and they did the the development for us. Um, so I, we had been looking at like wish list and some, you know, different integrations within WordPress, but we ended up going this route just because we met these guys and it worked out really well. So we used the $10,000 to launch the site. Uh, we recorded all the content um, that we wanted to have during launch in those three months. It was like 200 videos. It was an insane amount of content. Um, and then we launched on February 1st, 2013 with, um, you know, the, the people that did the presale and then that's, that's how we got started. Oh, you said it started on September 1st, 2013, uh, February 1st. So yeah, so we did November, December and January of prep. And during that time it was all presale. And we started with, in November, it was a $49 one-year membership, and then it was 79 in December, and then January was the last month, and it was like 129 So we incentivized the early signups with a lower price point. And then we launched and sent the logins to the people that had, that had purchased the early bird, and then for those that, that didn't, then it switched into... Uh, just the the monthly membership sign up or the yearly membership sign up. We started at twenty five dollars and I think two fifty for a yearly when we launched, and then we've just kind of been slowly building from there. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, when you did this, you said you made about ten thousand dollars that first um, that first pre sale. And I've yep. I've done something very similar with Publishers Empire, and I I think it's really effective to get people who are interested in what you're building to put down money and say this I'm interested in this because I think it's a form of validation. But you guys yeah. kept continued to sell um, and increase the price incrementally. Did you yep. then by the time you actually launched, how much do you do you remember how much you actually had going forward? Yeah. So in terms of like how much we had versus how much we spent. 
Well, or, I, I guess I'd be curious on both ends. Like maybe yeah. for somebody who's interested in starting uh, some kind of platform or, you know, what, what, what are the key takeaways here? So yeah, what, what you were able to raise in terms of revenue from these pre-sales and then yeah. where maybe more, most of your expenses um, went to. It sounds like a developer was probably pretty, probably one of the biggest ones, but I'm yep. curious. Yeah, so we, uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly. I would say that, so we, from the pre-sale, we had a probably $10,000 um, and that's a super rough estimate, but I'm pretty sure that, that, that it comes in right around there. Um, and then we used most of that for design and development and, um, and then probably just some like odds and ends, like a new mic, uh, for screencasts, uh, some software like ScreenFlow, Um, and that was probably like a thousand to 2000 at the most. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where we started. And then right from launch, we, any of the additional money that we're starting to create, we would just continue to put back in and we're continuing to do that. It's not like this cash cow where we just take it out and then do vacations. Um, it's a, it's a, that's a good very, business model though. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, maybe someday, but we, most of the money that we earned from the site, we put back in. Um, and we've done that from the start. So, you know, we, we didn't have a forum when we launched, for instance. So we, we had a developer build that out and, and design that. So we have the forum. Um, we're start, we started to add tools. So we have like a nutrition label generator that we had somebody to develop and build in to the site. So a lot of the income we're creating and a lot of the revenue, I should say, is just going straight back into it. And that was true right from the start. Um, so we, you know, pay ourselves a very small salary out of the business. Uh, but that that money mostly stays within the business. So yeah, and this is this is a question I guess that I'm very curious about because I'm kind of at that point where, um, so I'm I'm selfishly asking this question. But how do you decide what you're going to pay yourself versus what you're going to reinvest? So we're classified as an LL, an S corp. Yep, it's an LLC S corp. So there is, and I'm not an accountant. <laughs> Precursor on that. Uh, But we work with our CPA and she says you have to set a reasonable salary for what the CEO of this, an organization like this would make. So in the case of Food Blogger Pro, it's a $300,000 a year, like annual run rate. Um, So that's how much we would earn in revenue. Like if we're going from today until next year based on, you know, stats. Mm -hmm. Um, So we pay ourselves uh, $6,000 a month, technically. Like that's what it looks like on paper. But in terms of what we actually take out of the business, it's probably more like three to 4,000. So what will happen at the end of the year is we'll come and we'll sit down with our accountant and we'll say, okay, we paid ourselves 72,000 or whatever the numbers end up being. And then technically we only took out, let's just keep it simple and say uh, 50,000. So so that would be viewed then as an owner contribution of twenty two thousand. Again, I'm not I'm not a CPA, so mm-hmm. somebody that is a CPA or understands accounting better probably would have a better explanation of what that is. Mm-hmm. But the basic idea is that we're paying ourselves a salary, which we're taxed fully on. Uh, but then any of that profit that stays in the company doesn't have that additional layer of income tax on it. Mm-hmm. So there's a cost savings there. This yep. is getting into like two hundred one three hundred one business stuff, but. Yep. Um, so there's a cost savings there because we're not paying that income tax. But the the gray space is that idea of what is a reasonable salary, right? So we yeah. can't say like, well, a CEO would earn $30,000 and then only get income tax on that. So we have to pay ourselves like 
a legitimate salary. So our CPA came to us and said, it makes sense if, if we're going to lock that in at about 6,000. If the business grows and let's say next year things go really well and we're a $10 million business, mm-hmm. $72,000 probably isn't an appropriate CEO salary for a $10 million business. So for the way that we're structured, that's how it works. Uh, but that's not always the money that we're actually taking out. A lot of that comes back as like owner contributions back into the company. Sure. So, so bottom line, I guess it's probably talk to uh, a CPA or something like that to yeah. figure out what's, you know, yeah. but I, I think that's still is super useful because, yeah. um, I don't, I feel like anybody who then starts to make money for maybe a side hustle or something like that wants to do a full time, like then where does it like, where's that dividing line? Cause I know when I yeah. started, it was like I'm making all this money, but it was being reinvested right back in. Yep. I didn't really take any for myself. Now it's at the point where it's like, okay, I, have to take something for myself and I have to got like, square away this tax situation thing. So, right. um, but that's, that's interesting. I, I like the idea of the LLC S corp cause that's what I'm looking into too. And we, I don't want to get into that. That's a bit too advanced, but I do think it's interesting, um, you know, choosing what you're going to be paid versus reinvesting. Now, when you guys reinvest, um, are there, how do you like you, you break obviously you're making a decent, decent amount of revenue from this. How do you know where to put this money when, yeah. when it comes to growing this platform? So, for a long time, and this was especially true for Pinch of Yum. So Pinch of Yum will at this point earn anywhere from uh, uh, probably 25, this is revenue, 25000 to 40000 on the high end um, a month. So, and, and we don't have a ton of employees on, for Pinch of Yum. We have some people that kind of help out in contractor roles, but that's about it. So for a long time, that money was just coming in. It was kind of just sitting in a checking account or a savings account. Um, but what, what we've, what we did with that is we put some of it away in just an S and P 500 fund. So this Mm -hmm. is getting into like investment talk again. Um, (laughs) but it's, it's like a, it's, it's a fairly aggressive investment for a business to, to be in an S and P 500, just a index fund because, you know, when we're recording this, at least, you know, the past month has been super up and down, but generally let's say over five to 10 years, that's going to be, um, that's going to be something that's going to go up in the, sh- in the short term, that shift that we're making is we're starting to look at the businesses more as businesses as opposed to income streams. So in the future, probably what we'll do is as the income comes in, we'll pay ourselves our salary and, and then we'll look to, to hire people that that would be one to create other assets. That would be two. So right now we're mm-hmm. going through the process of redesigning pinch of yum. And we're talking about what would it look like if we created something around that redesign? Uh, Cause we know that, people also want to have a similar look and feel to Pinch of Yum. So what, is, there, is there a business potential uh, or revenue potential around something like a theme or mm-hmm. a course that walks people through how to um, set that up? Or are there ways that we can take that money out and create other, other businesses in a similar field, uh, but, but not directly overlapping? So point being, it's moving mm-hmm. away from like just putting it into S&P, which will average whatever, 8 to 10% over the year, um, year to year over a long period of time. And looking at wh- where are the areas that we can actually exponentially grow with the business, knowing that there's a lot of opportunities that we can take advantage of. And that's something that we haven't done a great job of in the past that we're starting to do a little bit better. Example would be you know, starting Food Blogger Pro. So yeah. we took some of the income that we had from Pinch of Yum, some of the income from the pre-sale. Uh, we maybe put, you know, $15,000. We took that and now we've created this thing that is, um, you know, earning $300,000 in revenue a year. So we're able to do that in other places, I think, and we just haven't done that. So the big thing for us, and I think this is the 
the reality that what it's got, what has gotten us here won't get us to the next level. The big thing is figuring out how do we find and work with really good people and do that over a long period of time because we know that we can't do it all on our own. So that's going to be our biggest next investment is figuring out, um, how can we bring quality people on to help us do what we want to do? Yeah, that's awesome. It's a good challenge to have. So as far as when, in, and I know I'm, I'm eating up time here in terms of... No, that's probably, right. I have time, so no okay, worries cool. about... Yeah. So I, I have a couple questions um, that I probably want to finish with, but one in particular was you went through all these different um, ideas of how you could grow your platform, what you could do with um, with Food Blogger Pro, with Pinch of Young, and, and, and the various kind of assets you guys have built up over time. Uh, do you have a particular like brainstorming um, type process you go through, or how do you go from there are literally dozens of ideas you could roll with to figuring out, okay, this is going to be our next step. Yeah. I think that we don't, we don't have an official process. Mm-hmm. Lindsay and I talk about it a lot. One of the things that's nice about being married to somebody that you also work not, I wouldn't say closely with, like I'm at an office right now and Lindsay's at home. So it's not like we're in the same space, which has been a really good thing for us. Like we each have kind of our own different work things and mm-hmm. we'll message each other and stuff occasionally. But like if we sit down for dinner tonight, Um, or when we sit down for dinner, we'll probably chat about pinch of yum or food blogger pro a little bit. Uh, and so that's been something that's been really nice. So we informally, we talk about ideas quite a bit. I think in terms of the filter that we use, it's like a three part filter. So the first part is, um, is this something that we can see actually working, which people get right. And so if it gets through that, filter. The next filter would be, is this something that we would enjoy doing? So there are things that would work, but then once they hit the, would you enjoy doing this filter? We're like, oh man, we really wouldn't enjoy doing that. So then it doesn't get through that filter. Um, And I think the last filter would be, is this something that is long-term beneficial? And by that, I mean, there, there, there would be things that would work in the short term and that we would enjoy doing, but long term it doesn't make sense for us to do those. So, you know, as, as a real rough overview, I would say that's yeah. kind of the filter system that we use uh, for what we're doing right now. Probably the most important out of all of those um, would be the would would we enjoy doing it? Yeah. If we don't enjoy doing it, then we'd cut ourselves off. Um, pretty early because it's really hard to stick with stuff. <laughs> it's like the life of a project. Yeah. Uh, there's this great book. Um, by, uh, I'm going to just a minute. Give me a second here. I'm going to Google it. So (laughs) the, the guy is, uh, Austin Cleon. And if you Google the life of a project and click on images, you'll see it. So there's at the very, so there's all these steps where like the first one is, this is the best idea ever. Right. And it's like a, a a graph and then it, and then it slowly goes down and it says, okay, this is harder than I thought. And then it's like, this is going to take some work. And then it's like, this sucks and it's boring. And then the last one is like dark night of the soul. It says, um, but unless you're really passionate about something, when you get to the, this sucks and is boring or the dark night of the soul, it's, it's pretty much game over uh, because it's really hard to rebound out of that, um, to the point where it starts to build back up. So the, that passion piece is so important in deciding what's next. Yeah, man, that, that that resonates with me. I'm a big fan of Austin Cleon as well. So great yeah. stuff. I'm gonna pick that. I I think I've read that a long time ago, and I gotta dig back through that again. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Cool. Well, I guess my final question then would be, what piece of advice then? I mean, you've already given out a, a bunch of, I think, a lot of great advice here that that is that is actionable for people who are just getting started or or trying to grow or scale their business. But anything you'd like to leave somebody with in terms of piece of advice or 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 um any ideas when it comes to 
to building something like this, to, yeah. to jumping into something online or doing something that they're uncomfortable with. Um, any, any thoughts on that? For sure. One of the phrases that we use all the time is 1% infinity. And the concept for us is really significant in the fact that it's what we've done. And 1% infinity, like if we were to break it down, we know one, right? What does one mean? It's the number one percent. We understand 1% is a little bit, right? It's not 10%. It's not 20%. It's 1% a little bit. And then infinity means for an extended period of time forever. And the idea is if you're going to start something and you want to build something, uh, don't feel the burden of going from zero to 100 um, over a week or over a year, I would say feel the burden of doing a little bit each day to make it a little bit better and to make yourself a little bit better. And in a year, you might not be able to do what you want to do, but in a decade, you're going to do some really incredible things. And I think that long-term vision is so important in the short-term vision of just doing a little bit each and every day to get a little bit better. An example is with Food Blogger Pro, we had been thinking about doing it for a really long time and we didn't know if we were going to move forward on it. And then we decided to do it. And there was one night, it was super late. I'd been working for a while and I thought, man, I'm just going to go to bed. And then I had this thought, I was like, just shoot out this one email to these guys that you want to work with, the designers uh, that we had thought about working with. And so I just, it was literally three minutes where I researched I uh, went to their contact page, I filled it out and I sent the email. And that was in some ways the catalyst that tipped us into this forward momentum of, of creating the site. And it was just a, it was a three minute thing. But if you do those things to make yourself a little bit better, to push things forward each and every day, you can make a lot of progress. So that would be my encouragement to people here as we wrap up. Love it. That's a message that resonates with me for sure. And I know it will with the audience. Um, I, I love the idea of just incremental improvement and the, and just the idea of just compound, um, mm-hmm. compound interest, compound anything in life. Yeah. I think everything compounds. And so, yeah, it's easy to, to take certain steps every day. It's easy not to. And, and if you take the easy steps that are, you know, positive, they do compound over time. And I yep. love that. I love the long-term view too. So cool. Great stuff, Bjork. I really appreciate it, man. Um, great having you on. I'm glad I could share your story with the audience and I'll definitely be linking up everything in the show notes. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much and I'll catch you later. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you'd like to check out the show notes, just head over to tommorcus.com slash podcast, where you'll find the latest broadcast. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's the fastest, simplest, easiest way to support my creative work, and it would really mean a lot to me. As always, this is Tom Morcus, and if you're listening to this, you are the resistance.